0: Good morning again, everybody. Uh, good, good, uh, this is a little cooler today than it has been uh, earlier in the week and uh, uh, whatnot. Anyway, so what's we'll I about this morning? Uh, just a couple of announcements before we get started. We will have Bible study tonight for those watching and whatnot at six o'clock. Uh, that Bible study is growing, growing. I don't know when I said the first word, but it's growing. And uh, anyway, I just uh, in a good way. And then we had our new and so that's night at 6 o'clock. And then Saturday night, we have a new Bible study in Pasadena. Uh, actually, tonight's Bible study will be on Better Way to Pray, uh, based on Andrew Max book. And then uh, Saturday night, we were starting a new series, Spirit, Soul, Body. And we had our first session last night, and we had about eight people there, so we had a good attendance. So it's plenty of time to, uh, some people feel funny about. Sh- Coming into a study that's already started, and, it, and everyone's always invited, so it's always good. You always get something out of it, if nothing else. So anyway, we invite you to both of those, and then uh, I think that's enough announcements for today. But uh, we're just gonna go ahead and just jump into the word. Um, we're starting a series right now. I couldn't get the, uh, my little uh, uh, banner up there on the screen, but it was. It's a little mini series about the beauty of God's holiness, and the beauty of His holiness, and, and before I go into there, my heart is, and we're going to start a new series next week about being the essence of spiritual maturity, and my heart as a pastor, and um, is to, two, and I'm realizing more and more just that pastoral role, that pastoral heart, but one of those things is I, my heart is to grow people in Christ, and let people grow and mature in their relationship just like any parent wants to see their children grow healthy, mature, be responsible, and have good, successful lives, it's the same thing spiritually. We need to grow. And uh, we're all growing. And not, uh, every plant, every animal, every person, every, uh, both physical, and for us humans, we're supposed to grow not only physically, but also spiritually. And growing in our relationship with God. In my experience, in in, in anything, an animal, a plant, a human, if you're not growing, you're just dying. And so we need to be growing and being fruitful and whatnot. Um, And so I want my heart to grow mature uh, and become mature Christians, those who are established in who they are in Christ, being established in the gospel Mm -hmm. and not just being like children. Tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Uh, there's some scriptures in Ephesians that says, the purpose of the fivefold ministry, pastors, apostles, whatnot, not, you know, and not saying there's an order, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, for the building up of the body of Christ, so we all come to the unity of faith, to the measure of the, of the stature of Christ, so we won't be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But I'm um, paraphrasing all this, but that we might grow up in Him, and, uh, and there's some other things. Uh, on that. But I was also at a men's Bible study uh, Excuse me A couple couple weeks ago or A couple months ago actually <coughs> And the guest speaker was speaking about holiness And to be honest with you No uh, uh, Excuse me Offense to the man but I just didn't agree Necessarily with the, the whole message And I believe in God's holiness I believe God is a holy God and I believe we are created in him. We are, and uh, we'll get into it in a moment, but we are, we are put on a new man who's created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Yes. So I remember even growing up, some of the messages I heard when we talk about holiness, and one of the key verses that they used was, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And we talked about that a lot in the last couple weeks, but then we'll, we'll mention them probably again this morning a little bit. But I just, uh, you know, when I heard that, I always heard it that, if I'm not holy, I'm not going to see God. But in context, and I've been reading Andrew's commentary and studying that and hearing some other scripture sk- excuse me, teachings on it. In context, if we don't, if we don't live holy, and actually the verse says, without, if we don't pursue peace and holiness, no one will see the Lord. And I believe in context of the verse, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself and I'm trying to do this as an introduction to where I want to go this morning, is that, and, and why I'm even teaching on this, is I believe that without, if we don't live holy, people won't see Jesus in us. Jesus said it this way in, in Matthew 5.16, that your lights light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I, we spent the last two weeks talking about where does holiness even begin? Holiness begins with the blood of Jesus. Without the blood of Jesus, nothing is holy. That's the only thing that can make anything holy, even in the Old Testament. The people, the law itself, the, the tabernacle, the priest, everything was anointed by the blood. Without the blood of Jesus, nothing is holy. We can't make ourselves holy. And actually the very next verse, in Hebrews I was talking about Hebrews 12, 14, but the very next verse talked about God's grace. It's not grace if we perform our own holiness to become holy. No, we are holy, so therefore we be holy. We live holy. Um, we talked about a little bit last week about the fruit of holiness. The fruit, just talking about fruit, the fruit is a byproduct of what the tree already is. So if you're going to have fruit of holiness, you have to be holy, holy to begin with. There can't be, you can't have an apple come from an, an orange tree. The fruit is it's a fruit of holiness. It's not fruit to become holy. You don't have the fruit first and then the tree appears. You have the tree. The tree already is holy. We are already holy by the blood of Jesus. And it's his nature. It's his holiness. It's his righteousness. It's his nature flowing through our veins and through our actions and through our behaviors and through the things that we think. So I believe in holiness. But when it's self-holiness, when it's self-righteousness, it's not beautiful. It's ugly. It's ugly. Isaiah calls it filthy rags, but when it's God, when it's His nature, when it's His righteousness, when it's when it's that born again seed is producing holiness, and it's called also the fruit of righteousness. It's beautiful, and it will always have a beautiful aroma. It will always have a beautiful effect, and therefore, and when people see God's righteousness and holiness in our lives, they see Him and they glorify God, which is in heaven. We're not trying to impress God. God's already impressed with Jesus. He is our propitiation. He is our worthy Lamb. Jesus took our place. God only sees really when it comes down to it, Adam or Jesus. We're either born of Adam or we're born again of Christ, and we either we were born again by the blood (coughs) excuse me the life of Jesus, or we're still an Adam. And some of us were born again, but our thinking is still Adam. And we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Who we are. So that His holiness and His righteousness can be uh, demonstrated in our lives. There's that fruit of holiness. That fruit of righteousness. So that people can see God and glorify Him who is in heaven. When we're unholy. And even the verse in Hebrews, when we are not at peace with one another. That doesn't glorify God. People don't see don't, don't look at our lives and say, I want to have something to do with God. Well, <coughs> excuse me, like it or not, people watch us. And people judge God by what we do and don't do. People say, if that's what God is like, I don't want anything to do with him. Or, you know, if they see our good deeds, if they see how we love one another and treat one another, and, and, and there's a fruit of the beauty of God's holiness, it attracts people to God. When it's God, when it's beautiful, when it's the nature of God, the true nature of God. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about something that's counterfeit and and man-made. But when it's God, it's beautiful. And it's attractive like honey. It's attractive like a flower. And it's beautiful. Amen? And so with that, I want to continue that with this morning, that thought. We talked a lot about how we become holy. But I want to talk about the dangers why we holy. Why the instruction? We even use a verse in Thessalonians, uh, the last couple of weeks of 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, and we're called, Paul, the apostle of grace, has, says that we're called to holiness. We're called to live a holy, righteous life. But I want to deal with uh, just a couple answers to that question. Why do we live holy? And what, another thing that I'm trying to deal with in this whole little mini-series that really is uh, kind of a part of my it goes with my heart to talk about spiritual maturity. Um, but I just felt that the, the, the teacher's little mini-series first. But I also understand and I'm will i getting, getting, getting a little ahead of myself. But in the last few years, several years, last decade or so, there has been an emergence of grace. The emergence of the teaching of grace. And thank God for that. We teach grace. But there's also a group of people that teach grace into the it's dead that we can do whatever we want. And that's not what, that's not grace. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. The last couple weeks when I've been teaching, there's always been a tickle in my throat. And it only comes on when I try to teach, so I know it's not God. It's not God anyway. Uh, but it's at the enemy is just trying to distract me. And so but I'm just plunging forward. i just rebuked that cough in Jesus' name and we just go forward. But uh um the grace of God, according to Titus two twelve, teaches us to deny ungodliness. So those who, um, those who think that they can live any way they want to, don't know grace at all, because grace will teach us to deny ungodliness, and we'll get into it in just a moment. Holiness is our nature. We're born again. We put on a new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, and that's our nature. But, uh, but I'm also trying to help some people reconcile between grace and holiness. And how that they reconcile that. We're, we're not trying to perform holiness to become holy. We're living holy because we are. And I'm trying to reconcile that in some people's minds. We are not anti-holiness because of grace. But we're also not performing holiness to, uh, because then it, otherwise that is not grace. If you're performing something to get it, that's not grace. It's not unmerited favor. It's not that you have earned it. It's a wage. No, we have, by grace, we are saved through faith. And faith without works is death. And so the, the, the response is a fruit of holiness. We're saved by grace. that made us holy. But because we're holy, His grace, His nature is in us. And there's going to be a fruit of holiness that's going to come out of that. If it's not, then we are plucked into the wrong seed. We're pl- plugged into the wrong source. And... The message we're hearing is not grace, because grace will teach us, will discipline us, to deny and guide us. Um, So anyway, let's get into our message a little bit this morning. Uh, a little longer introduction than our plan. But um, I want to answer this question. Why be holy? Or another way of looking at it, too, is how do we process holiness in our lives. The first thing I want to look at this morning is, we live holy because... That is our nature. And we've kind of already been tackling that in our teaching. But I wanted to see some scriptures this morning to, to uh, back that up. First of all, my favorite scripture, and I'm not going to necessarily turn to it because I just quoted. But he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That word become, where it says that we might become the righteousness of God. That word become, I've taught about this many times. It, when you study that word out, it comes from the word gene. It's, that's where we get the word gene. It means to be born of. That we might be born of the righteousness of God. We, he took our sin. He took not only the, the the sins that we committed, but He took the nature of sin. In Adam. And He nailed it to the cross. That we might be born again. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We're not the righteous God outside of Him. We're not and we're the righteousness of God in him. He is righteous. He is our righteousness. He is also our holiness. He is a holy God. And and uh, we live holy because that's who we are. A hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who pretends to be something or not. But we are born again. We are the righteousness of God in him. And in our true nature, we are already holy. Uh... Go ahead and show with me. and I, I'm already there in my Bible. But uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, there's another favorite passage of Scripture I always keep going back to. And I'll pick it up with verse 20. It says, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have, been, you have heard him. Excuse me. And have been taught by him that the truth is in Jesus. We, there's, there's a truth that is in Jesus that we have so learned. And this this phrase, so learned, when you study out the Greek, it means to be permeated. Excuse me, to be saturated. There's a truth that we need to be so established and permeated and, and saturated in. And this, this truth is in Jesus. And this is the truth, because verse 21 ends with a colon. So he's going to expand on what this truth that we others so learned that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man. The King James will say that the former conversation, which grows corrupt according to the deceitfulness of lust, and be renewed, in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, true righteousness and holiness. So there's a true holiness. because That's what we're talking about. There's a false holiness. There's a counterfeit holiness, and and and, uh, and so. Um, we are putting on true, right, true holiness, and that true holiness is Jesus. Hopefully, I'm making sense with that. Uh, know, and it's our nature. We're born again. We have a whole new nature. Paul says in Corinthians that uh, anyone, we, we are a new creation. All things have become new. We are a new creation. At our in our origin, we are born again, and when we put off the old man and the spirit of my mind, we put on the new man. He's already created we are created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We live holy because that's our nature. We're not a sinner anymore. We're not separated from God. We're not in Adam anymore. We're in Christ. That is our nature. Okay? Um, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 24. Sure, you can do me a favor and just set that back down. 1 Peter 1:24. Uh, no, First Peter 2:24. Now we use this verse a lot when we talk about healing and it applies, but I want to look at it from another angle this morning. Who Himself, so he's quoting from Isaiah, Peter, Who Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we, have, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. <coughs> Excuse me. By whose stripes. You were healed. Again, Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree. talking about the cross. And I, this is phrase I want to focus on. That we, having died of sins, might live for righteousness. We might live for holiness. He died. Yes, yes, by the stripes we were healed. And we, we usually focus on that all the time in our in our gatherings. And I don't want to take away from that. But I also don't want to miss this part. That he died for us, not just so we can be healed, but and uh, but that we can also live for righteousness. Thank you. Um you know this this word heal is a different word than we normally use for so sozo soteria which means healing. This also means healing. But this word also, just like sozo, or soceria, means wholeness. That we might be whole. You know, someone who's not, someone who is sick is not whole. Someone who's not mentally, uh, uh, someone who's mentally sick is not whole. Someone who's struggling with an addiction of any kind. Whether that be a bottle, a plant, a drug, or even gossip, or... Or, you know, sin is also not doing what we should do. So we're struggling to be motivated to do what God's called us to do. That's sin. But wholeness is not just physical healing, wholeness is also mental and emotional healing, including spiritual healing. Someone who's not doing well in their relationship with God, they're growing, but it's withered. It's not growing healthy, it's not growing right. Uh, you break a bone, but it doesn't heal right. Whatever the case may be. something it's, it's, not, it's not whole. It's not the way God designed it. God di- died for us so that we could be whole, spirit, soul, and body. And we focus on the healing, the physical, and praise God, it, it's for us. But we, he, lived, he died for our sins that we might live for righteousness. Why? Because that's our nature. He took away Adam. He took away our sin. He nailed it to the cross. And he has given us a whole new nature. We're born again, not a corruptible seed, Adam. We're born again of incorruptible seed by the word of God. That is who we are. And we know that theologically, because I'm talking to the church. But sometimes in the moment, we still act like Adam. We still act like we're just human. We're not just human. We don't have a new body yet. We don't have a new soul yet. But we are born again in our spirits. And we are born again so that we might live for righteousness. Does that make sense? And that's and, and, uh, when we do, we're going to find ourselves also being healed, being whole. We want people to be whole in every area of their lives. Someone who's struggling with sin or addiction, depression, anything. That's not whole. That's not good. And it's time to be healed. It's time to live for righteousness. Uh, you know, and when when that happens, that's beautiful. When someone is healed here, but they're not healed in this area, whatever that case may be, it's not it's beautiful, but it's also not beautiful. I want wholeness. I want someone's life to be right with God. I want someone's life to be. <coughs> to, you know, I love, I love it when you go to, I mean, even whether it be in the country or someone's yard, and it's just beautiful with the flowers, the grass, the plants. But we also love to watch a life that is just blooming, uh, uh, blossoming. Everything that they touch is just blessed. And that, uh, but uh, you know, God has called us to live for righteousness and live for holiness. Um, Passing over for that I've already covered you what know, like I can do to do that again. But when I, let me just say this when our lives are so shining before men that they see our good works, they see how we're growing, we're, we're blossoming, we're whole, it glorifies God. That's beautiful. When it, our lives don't glorify God, that's not beautiful. And we're talking about the beauty, the beauty of God's holy Okay um, I just feel like I can skip over some of this Because I've we'll already talked about it Alright Let's go to the second point We live for, we live for holiness we, live, we, we be holy Not just because of our nature There's a lot more I could expound on that But we also uh, live for, We live holy because We love God We love him He loves us unconditionally. He has changed and transformed our lives. But Jesus said this in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, if you are afraid of me or fear for me, keep my commandments. He's not talking about condemning us or or, or judging us or whatnot. But he, he, he talks about, if you love me, do what I say, keep my commandments. Um, you know, let me just say this. I do things for my wife, not because I should. I do it because I want to honor her. I want to do it. You know, any relationship, if you're just doing it because under compulsion, because you're obligated to, it takes away the blessing. It takes away the, uh, and the one who's the recipient of it is not totally blessed. Because you're just doing it because it's your obligation, or you feel manipulated into doing it. or whatever the case may be. But we do things for each other as husband and wife because we honor one another. There's there, there's a marriage, yes, and there's in a sense of obligation to that marriage. But uh, we do we honor God, we keep His commandments because we love Him. It's our nature, yes. But well, I want to obey God. I want to obey. I want to obey his precepts and his laws and, and not to become holy, but because I love him. I want to honor him. And nothing left. He also knows how life is supposed to work. There's wisdom in it. He knows if we don't, he's not judging us, but everything will fall apart when we do it <coughs> our way. He doesn't have commandments because he's trying to lord it over us. He is our King. He is our Savior. He's also our Lord. But He also knows He's learned because He loves us. And He's changed our life, he, take, he took us out of the miry clay and put our feet on a rock and, and saved our lives from destruction. And He didn't give us commandments just so we could be puppets and robots. He did because He loves us and He, he knows what's good for us. And we, love, we do because we love Him. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And you know, in when you in any relationship, in a marriage, a parent-child relationship, an employer-employee relationship, when we do things for one another uh, because we love and we respect and we honor one another, that's beautiful. But when it's micromanaged, when it's when it's done out of compulsion, that's not beautiful. And, and you know, uh, you know, sometimes it's nice that people are compulsive. But we don't want compliance just for compliance. We want we want people we want honor. And we've lost that in our culture. We've lost that in the home. We've lost that in society. We've lost that sometimes even in the church. And uh and yes, thank God for his grace, but just because I got grace doesn't mean I want to dishonor my God and dishonor his word. I want to bring glory and honor to him. And uh and so uh, we, we we live holy because we are it 's our nature, but we live holy because it's also we just love God we love him in other words i don 't want to disrespect and dishonor my wife i do think, i don't do things i know'm being repetitive but I just want i want to honor and in a moment maybe on a bad day when i just don 't feel like doing it you know that 's my flesh speaking. When I don't feel like doing something. And we've all been there. We've all done things that have been dishonoring to people. Uh, but in that, using those cases, if that's not our spirit speaking. That's not our new nature speaking. That's our flesh being just selfish most of those times. And we've all been there. And it could be because we're tired or a bad mood. But I'm not going to submit to my bad mood. I'm submitting to God. I'm, that's who I am. I'm not submitting to the Adam. I'm not going to submit to the devil. I'm not even, I don't want to submit to my flesh. And sometimes we're tired. Sometimes we're not in a good mood. Sometimes, And sometimes maybe they don't deserve it. But we don't do it because they deserve it. We do it because we honor them. We love them. You know, we didn't deserve it. God changed our lives. His mercy, His grace. And that's part of our nature now. We have compassion for for, for one another. And that goes to my third point. We live holy not because it's just our nature. Not just because we love, people, love God. But we also love people. We also love one another. You know, everything we do affects other people. Whether it's good or whether it's bad. I can tie every sin that we commit, or can commit, to an emotion. and That's not necessarily my my message this morning. That's not not necessarily uh, unravel all that. But everything we do affects people. And when we are living in sin, or we commit a sin, we hurt others. In some sense, more than others. One, a, a very popular one, but if there was an affair, it would d- destroy the marriage. It could. It would, de- it would devastate the other spouse. But if just say, I have an affair. If I had that, it would devastate my wife. It would devastate those who know us. It would devastate the church. The things that we do Affect other people. And it's not just an affair. It's not just sexual sins. But other things too. Gossip and different things. When we don't do good. When we don't pray for one another. When we don't honor and, and, and respect and love one another. Like we are supposed to do as a church. As a body of grace. As born again believers. It hurts people. And it hurts the body. It hurts the it hurts society. It hurts our culture. Where the culture is now in dominion. And the church is, is, is it's falling behind. We're the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. We're supposed to be leading the cultures and the nations. Not following their precepts. The world is selfish. The world is self-centered. But we're God-centered. That's our nature. And our nature, Jesus had compassion for God. He had compassion for his Father. He had compassion for the people. And he did things not found us selfish. He did things. I don't want to live unholy. Because one, it's not my nature. Two, I love God. And three, I love you. I love my people. I don't want to hurt people. The things that we do hurt one another. Go with me real quick to 2 Corinthians (coughs) 5.14. And I know some of these are some basic things. But I'm not doing these things to become holy. I'm doing these things because we are. And uh, I know most of us know these things. But I know I not know, know about you, but sometimes even the simple things, I need to be reminded. I need to be reminded of who I am and why I do what I do. But uh, there's a lot here. I know mean, i don't have time to go into all of it, but Paul says here in 2 Corinthians five fourteen, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge us. We come to this conclusion that if one died for all, then all died. You know, because of Jesus, and there's some other scriptures I can bring out, Romans six eleven says, Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. How many of you know that His, his love, God's love for us to the cross, makes us come to this conclusion, that our old man is dead. It goes back to what we just read in Ephesians 4, that this is a truth that we are so saturated, so permeated in, that we put off the old man. In the spirit of our mind, we put on the new man. We're dead to do man. We're called to holiness. I'm going somewhere with this, and when I talk about the love of God compels us to come to this conclusion, that if, we die, if, one, if, uh, that if one died for all, then all will Let me know it also says in Romans 5.5 5, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts and given to us by the Holy Spirit. Paul encourages us in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 He says that we should do things to to cause one another to stumble. And I'm trying to tie all these different verses together here right now. But the love of God compels us to come to this conclusion that we died to Adam. We died to our flesh. We we were crucified with Christ. We died to him. We're now resurrected to him in newness of life. And, and, And in that newness of life... His love, according to Romans 5, 5, has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. His love, His nature, God is love. Love is See, God's love, agape, is not, is not an emotion. It's a noun. And God's love is a person. His name is Jesus. God is love. And God's love has been shed abroad in our hearts. His love has, com- has compelled us to come to this conclusion... That we died, our flesh died, and and so we're in our flesh. We're not living for ourselves and being selfish. We're living for God, and we're living for one another. God's love that's been shed abroad in our hearts wants to love you, wants to honor you. Doesn't want to do you harm. Doesn't want to cause you to stumble because of something I did or something I said or or behavior or, or, or some immoral sin or whatever the case may be. God's love is in my heart, and he, his, his love is shed abroad in my heart. It compels me to come to the conclusion, I don't want to do anything that would cause you to stumble. I want to do things that would edify and build up the body of Christ. He's given us the fivefold ministry to equip the saints to edify one another in love, it says in, in Ephesians chapter 4. And so, um, this is all tying back into my first point. It's our nature to love one another. It's our nature to love God. You know, John says it this way, we love because He first loved us. I can't love God like I should. I can't love you and my wife as I should if I don't understand His love. And His love is my new nature. It all ties together but we are born again. We live holy because it's our new nature. We live holy, and our new nature loves God, and our new nature loves one another, and our new nature has no desire to live in sin and do anything that would harm one another. I want to, I'm always thinking of different things when they come to my mind. Will this hurt somebody, or will this edify them? I want, to be, I, want, I want my life to so shine. We sometimes take out that word, so, in that verse. I want my light to so shine before men that they see my good works and glorify my Father. I, and and even though that's all true, I also want to I want to edify, I want to do something that will be edifying and build you up and not tear you down. Let's go to one more verse here and then we'll go to my next point. Romans 13, verse 8. Paul's speaking again. I wish I could uh, spend more time in this whole section here. Because Paul's talking about loving our neighbor. But I'm just going to join verse 8 and I'm going to have to bypass some of the others for now. But Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. There's a lot, again, I can expound on this. But Paul is saying, we, we shouldn't owe anyone anything except for one thing, and that is to love one another. We already know that all the law is summed up in loving the Lord your God with all your heart, and all your soul, and all your might, and loving your neighbor as yourself. If you look at all, all the laws, just even look at the Ten Commandments, don't murder, don't steal, don't, have, don't, don't commit adultery. All these things are, are laws, commandments, towards one another. It's about honoring God, but it's also about honoring one another. The commandments are all about loving God and loving each other. And so when we love one another, we are fulfilling the law. Because that's what the law is. It's about loving one another. It's about loving God. And but we don't owe anyone anything. But because of Christ, because we do owe, we do have an obligation to love one another. You know, I think the, 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 the we, we, this has come up in a lot of conversations through the recent years and months and it's, it's actually in some in some conversations it's been even controversial but we have an obligation because of our relationship with God we're going to get into some of this when we're talking about spiritual maturity but there's an obligation that us as the body of Christ because it's our nature to love one another Again, I can't. I can't uh, uh, the scope of my message is not for really even loving one another. It's about the beauty of God's holiness. But one aspect of that holiness, the one aspect of that, the beauty of His holiness, is how we treat one another. Because when we're unholy, most of those unholy acts are about offending and, and, and doing things that harm other people. Even if we're doing it to ourselves, it affects other people. But we're supposed to live in such a way that it glorifies God. Um, let me just say this. There's over a hundred scriptures and Paul's writings and John's writings and Jesus' teachings and, and one that talk about how we love one another. And 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 if we're not loving one another as we should, that tells me we haven't received His love. We are not walking in his nature as we should because God is love and his nature is in us. Jesus always had compassion for the people. He always had compassion for the publicans and the sinners. He always, he went to the cross and died for the world. He's had, God is love. He's the definition of he's the essence of love, and if that love, the fruit of holiness, the fruit of righteousness, is not flowing in us and through to love other people like Jesus did. Then, if it got as if it's not God's nature, it's it's another nature. It's Adam. And uh, and and but his nature is love. His love. James talks about this when he's comparing wisdom. We talked about this a few months ago when we were talking about wisdom. But the wisdom, the wisdom that is, uh, there's two kinds of wisdom. One sensual, it's earthly, it's demonic, it's envy, it's strife, and there's every evil work. But the wisdom that's from above is first peaceable. It's pure, it's peaceful, it's, it's full of mercy. It's without partiality, it's, without, it's without, without hypocrisy. It's willing to be entreated. And it has peace, and it bears the fruit of, it talks about there in James 3.18, it has the fruit of righteousness, which is the fruit of holiness. God's wisdom, God's nature, when it and when it, and it, when and when you see God's nature, it has the fruit of righteousness. It's beautiful. It's peaceful. It's pure. It's good. It's lovely. It's attractive. But wisdom, man, man, earthly sensual wisdom is, is, is uh, envy and strife. Confusion. And every evil work. And it, ha- it has in it a connotation of wisdom. Because it is wisdom. But it's earthly, essential wisdom. It's not the wisdom of God. And it's not beautiful. It's ugly. It's filthy rags. And it, it opens a door for every evil work. If where I lived in sin, if I lived, had an affair, like I said, as an example, it would open a bunch of doors for the enemy to just come and do havoc. In the church, in the body of Christ, in the family. And, 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 and it, it, there was kids involved. It, it, it would just go, It can go from generation to generation to generation. Some wars started that way. Uh, uh, I was just, I've been stating a little bit just back the, on the Trojan War. And a lot of that, some of those wars started because of affairs and different things. Among the kings and whatnot. And you know, and sin is ugly. It's damaging. But the grace of God is more powerful. I'm not trying to magnify sin. Christ dealt with sin, but we 're going to get to our next point though um, that just kind of ushers me in there i wasn't planning on going here yet i'm just going to go ahead and go here and find myself, but sin enslaves us. see sin is not just an action; sin is a power and uh Paul, um, give, I'm trying to uh, get my my notes, my thoughts together here I' going here. Sin is deceit. There's a deception. There's always a deception in sin. It will always cost you more than you want to pay. It will always take you further than you want to go. It, sin is deceiving, and it will it will always ensnare people. It will always entrap people. You know, I come across people all the time who are addicted to something. Maybe it's smoking, for example, or drugs, or something of that nature. And I hear this. I hear this a lot. In, uh, in in our culture today where people will say, but I am in control of my choices. Well, if you're in control of your choices, then just quit. But they can't. Because sin is addictive. And something that is addicting you has dominion over you. But sin shall not have dominion over you because you're not under the law, you're under grace. Sin is addictive, but His grace is even more powerful. But uh, uh, but sin will, will so this is kind of our fourth point. We don't we don't live holy, I mean we do live holy, excuse me, said that wrong, because we all, it is our nature. We, in our nature we love God, we love people. But there's also a warning here, too, that we live holy because sin entangles Sin ensnares us. Sin is a is a is a trap of the enemy. Jesus said this in John 8, 34. Anyone who sinned becomes a slave to sin. I don't want to serve sin. Jesus died for that. He crucified me. He set me free from it. I don't want to go back to it. Four times in Paul's letter, he says, why would you have been set, I'm paraphrasing it, but why would you have been set free from sin and want to go back into it? And and, and usually when we hear the gospel, and I've heard this hurt, and I like this, but... Paul preached the gospel in such a way that four times he had a counter an argument that, you're, Paul, you're saying I can live any way we want to. No. And, 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 and every time that came up, Paul said, God forbid. We're not living in sin. But if we don't preach the gospel in such a way where well, that question doesn't come up, that question should automatically come up, you're saying we should live any way we want to, then we haven't, in a sense, preached the gospel the way Paul did. It should have that kind of but the obvious answer is no. Paul's not advocating the life of sin. But God's grace is so amazing. It's so awesome. His, 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 the good news of the gospel is so good. If in one it, it, unless you're taught, unless you're trained, but it sounds like we can live any way we want to, because his grace is enough. But when we're taught grace, it will, we were taught grace, it will teach us to deny ungodliness. godliness. It will teach us to plug into the vine who is Jesus, who is holy. It will teach us, we will become so, so learned and so saturated that we put off the old man. In the spirit of our mind, we put on the new man who is created according to God and true righteousness and holiness. And, and even back in Hebrews, God, uh, the writer of Hebrews in the context where he says, uh, pursue peace. With all men and holiness for out that you won't see the Lord. In Hebrews 12.10, he says, he's talking about how the father disciplines his child. He disciplines us as he sees fit. It's not pleasurable in the season. He disciplines us, but he does it so that we might be partakers of his holiness. He disciplines us. That word discipline is very close to the word discipleship. And God has, he's not making converts. There's a starting point. There's a starting point of being born again, hearing the gospel, receiving Christ. That is a starting point, point, in lack of a better term, a convert. But we are disciples being trained, being disciplined to know who we are in Christ, so that his nature, not our nature, can come through our life and the fruit of holiness. We're being trained by it. And we're not we're trained, being trained not to go to the vomit that we came out of the bondage to being ensnared to sin. We're being trained to live a different way. We're being trained to have different desires. We're being trained to to put away the, the wickedness and put away the uncleanness and walk a holy life. And some of us, because that's all we've ever known. That's all we've ever known under Adam when we were in Adam. That's all we ever known was sin. But we have to be retrained. We have to be renewed. We have to renovate the mind that we are no longer sin. We're not living in sin. There's no pleasure in sin. It's a dead end. It will ruin my life. We're living for God. And we're not going to be ensnared by the enemy. When he <coughs> and he who is the son has set free shall be free indeed. But we're being free, not from the outside in. Yeah. We're being free from the inside out. We're being trained. We're being discipled. So the fruit is holiness. Our desires are changing. Our appetites are changing. Our choices. See, when someone who's living in sin starts making bad choices. They start making bad choices everywhere. And and, and I'm not just talking about sinning, but even just living naturally to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. The wages of sin is death. When we're thinking wrong. When we're thinking carnally. When we're thinking naturally. When we're using sensual earthly wisdom that's natural. But it's carnal. It's not God. It's not God's wisdom. It's earthly. It makes sense. Naturally it makes sense. It sounds like wisdom. But it's not wisdom. It's the wisdom of this world. It's the wisdom of, of man. It's the philosophy of man. That makes the word of God of no effect. We need to need the wisdom of god we need to abide in him abide in his word we don't just become a convert we become a disciple be trained to know who we are get in the word abiding in the word we're retraining ourselves t- we have a new diet we're so learning this christ putting off the old man and putting on the new. why are we doing that in our mind it's a mind battle the battle isn't here we have to retrain ourselves. That's not who we are. That's, we crucified that man. We're a new man. We're wrecking ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. And when we do that, the fruit is holiness towards God, towards other people. I said My, 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 my gestures were backwards. But, but we're, we're not being, we're not enslaved to sin and addiction. We're free. And we're free to live for God. We're free to bless people. We're free. You know, sin costs you. Every addiction I know costs financially. Drugs, alcohol, pornography. Oh, it costs money to do stuff like that. Now you got that money to do things for God and, and to fulfill your destiny, fulfill your purpose. Is that not making sense? But it's coming from the inside. And when it's God, when God transforms a life from the inside out, but when man through religion is trying to figure it out in its own strength, it's ugly. And even religion is bondage. And it will ensnare people. It will entrap people. That they never measure up. In the flesh, we don't measure up. But in Christ, we already measure up. And we're not we're not starting from a place of defeat. We're starting from a place of victory. We are not the sick trying to get well. We are the well resisting sickness. We are not the sin, sinners trying to resist sin. We are the righteousness of God, the holiness of God resisting sin, resisting sickness, and, and resisting anything that's not of God. Um, let me just read this real quick, too. I'm trying to wrap up here. Oh, how much time I got? Okay, not too bad do better now thousand time. Romans six, Romans go uh, go to Romans six sixteen. There's more I can read in this passage. You know, in chapter six, Romans six, Paul's already been talking about we've been crucified with Christ, we've been buried with him in baptism. You're we with him in the news of life. He's already been talking about how, uh, in this passage, how sin is dead. The man of sin is dead. He tells in verse 11, that reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the context, but then he makes this statement. In that context, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to the righteousness You know, again, I'm trying to reconcile in some people's minds grace and holiness. To me, God's grace made us holy. But now that we're holy, I'm going to obey him. Because he's my righteousness. He's my life. I'm going to make a point here in just a moment. I didn't do that. But whoever we obey, even if we are in Christ, if we obey sin, we become a slave. But Paul said in Romans 1, I'm a bond-servant of Christ. Paul, and when we are a bond-servant of Christ, it's beautiful. But when we, whether we willingly or unknowingly or through ignorance, make, make ourselves a slave to sin, it's not beautiful. And so sin sin will ensnare. Sin will entrap people. You know, I just want to make a comment. I think I, I'm going to skip today fast forward just on my notes when I'm talking about commandments we're not about the commandments so per se we're about love and all the commandments are summed up in one thing: loving God and loving our neighbor we're not about the commandments per se we're about love we're about God that is our nature with the fruit of the spirit that's love joy peace temperance is also listed there as an attribute of that fruit of the Spirit. It says in Galatians 5, 16, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The flesh lusts for this. Our old man that's been crucified, that we put off, lust to be depressed. Lust to be angry. Lust to, to, to uh, this whole, in our society, my rights. I crucified my rights in Christ. I have Jesus. And it's my right in Jesus to live godly, to live holy, to see the fruit of righteousness and holiness in my life to make a difference in the world. Um, Am I making sense? Mm -hmm. One more point. We live holy not just because of our nature, and not just because we love God and love people, and because sin and snares. And this kind of goes with the, the one I just mentioned about sin and snares, but also. The wages are consequences of sin. It's still death. It's still corruption. I want to. I want to tie this end of something here. Go with me to Galatians chapter four. And actually, go with me real quick to Galatians three, and then we'll go to Galatians four. Go to verse 13. As we get in here, actually, I didn't get the right one. I went to four. (laughs) Paul says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it's written curses of everyone who hangs on the tree. We preach very adamantly in this church, in our church and other churches we remember been apart that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. We know that. We believe that. That's a core teaching that we teach. And like I said the day, the day, there's been an emergence of a teaching of grace, and praise God for that. We preach that very heavily here. God loves us conditionally. He bore our sins. We are forgiven. We are the righteous of God in Him. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will never pour out his wrath on us as he already did for our propitiation, Jesus. He poured out his wrath on Jesus. We received Jesus. God has delivered us and redeemed us from the curse of the law. But yes, God has redeemed us from the curse of the law. But God did not redeem us from the law of sowing and reaping. I want to look at this in Galatians chapter. I said Galatians 4, but Galatians 6, verse 7. This is Paul speaking, the apostle of grace. Again, I'm trying to reconcile for some people's minds. Grace and holiness and how to fits there. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. He's talking to the church. He's talking to Christians. The apostle of grace, he says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also read. He just said, he's reading this from the curse of the law. But he also says, Yes, God has redeemed us from the curse of the law, but don't be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. He also said, one chapter earlier, chapter 5, verse 16, that if we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the rest of the. We're born again. We're to walk after the Spirit. To be naturally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We're born of the Spirit. We're born of the nature of God. We're born again. We crucify the flesh. Paul said in Corinthians, we don't know man after the flesh. But this flesh still has an appetite. This flesh still has a lust. And it's called the sequelness of sin, the sequelness of the flesh. If we're not careful, he's talking to the church. He's talking about grace. He rebuked the Galatians for teaching performance and teaching religion. He, you know, he, he's not nullifying the, the, the message of grace in the gospel, but he's he concluding this letter. He, just, he said, don't be deceived. Everybody has just talked about grace in this, in this book. But he says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. What you sow, you will reap. I was talking to an, an, another man, uh, uh, same men's go- man's thing I go to every month, but this was his volume month, and he was t- he was going to talk about reaping and sowing. And we were talking a little bit before his message, so I don't know what, exactly how he was going to deliver his message. But we were talking about sowing and reaping, and in our conversation, I just made a statement. I said, well, if you don't like what you're reaping, change the seed. If you don't like your harvest, change the seed. Um, you know, if... You're planting corn, but you want carrots. Don't plant corn. Plant carrots. You you know you, you plant corn. Guess what you're gonna get? Corn. You plant carrots. You're gonna get carrots. Dogs beget dogs. Cats beget got, cats. You know uh, you know. Don't be surprised when you plant corn. That carrots aren't gonna be there. If you don't like your harvest, change the seed. If you even though we are in Christ. If we sow to the flesh, we will of the flesh reap corruption. God's not corrupting us. God's not judging us. We're reaping what we sow. If we sow immorality, we're going to reap corruption. We sow gossip, we're going to reap corruption. Anything that we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap. It's reward. That's what we sow. But I want to sow righteousness. I want to sow God's seed. I want to sow... Where I know i there's going to be a good. Reward. I want to change the harvest. And by His grace and through His nature, I, I, and in the flesh, I can't do that. But if I walk in the Spirit, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I walk holy because I want to reap the fruit of holiness. I want to reap the fruit of righteousness. I don't want corn. Oh, I like corn. I don't want to reap. Uh, I don't want to reap. The the, 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 uh, the consequences are the fruit of wickedness, holiness. I don't want to. I don't want to dabble with it. I don't want to toy with it. I don't want to toe the line. I've had people say, "Pastor, what can I do to get and get away with it?" It's not about what we can get away with. It's about what we can do to glorify and honor Him. And uh, and, and um, and so this making sense that I, my nature is new. I have a brand new nature, yes. I thank God for His grace, and He has redeemed us from the curse of the law. But if we will reap what we sow, and I want to, you know, if I don't like the harvest, I gotta change the seed. And you know, I can teach this from a financial standpoint too, and other other standpoints. But we are born again, and I want to reap what God. My life. I want to end with this. And again, I don't talk about sin a lot, but I want to make some points. I'm trying to teach this through grace. But I want to see the fruit of holiness. There's, you know, Paul wouldn't say that, don't be deceived to the church. If there's not a, a warning that we could be deceived. And the danger about deception is, you don't know you're deceived when you're deceived. You just don't know it. And we've met a lot of people, and we ourselves, I'm sure, and I know at times, have been deceived of things that we've done. But the danger about deception is you don't know. Everyone else might see it, but you might not see it. Uh, that's, that's, that's how deception works. That's how sin works. That's how Satan works. He works through deception. That is that his, his number one. He's been doing that since the garden. That is his card. That's how he operates. Uh, he works through deception. And if we're not in God and have a relationship with God... We can be deceived easily. And if we're not walking in the Spirit, we may not know when we're being deceived and going down the wrong road. But the Holy Spirit, is, He's a gentleman, but He's a good Father. He's a good counselor. And He will let us know when we're going down the wrong path. You know, the, uh, you know it, it, it can be something simple. You know, uh, just, it could be just even an attitude adjustment. You know, we got a bill the other day and the, the prices went up again. And like, you know, until so attitude began to stir up. Now I'm gonna call, make things right, or whatever, and we've already done all that. And we just know And, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit just said, let it go. Let it go. I'm not saying there's not wisdom in making things right when they the right thing, but I just like the Holy and it wasn't so much about making it right, it was my attitude at the moment. And the the Holy Spirit just directed me to and not get out of that realm of peace. And not get out of that realm and act out of the flesh, but act in, as, as a child of God. And so, uh, anyway, hopefully that makes sense. But it can be something, the enemy usually starts with something small. Be subtle, small. Uh, but, uh, but this is a, live, my last point. We live holy because also sin will harden your heart, mm. sin will always. Pardon uh, Go with me for Hebrews chapter 3. And we're going to wrap it up here. Now Hebrews, the writer is writing to the Hebrews, the Jews. So he's also using some Jewish history to to uh, make his point. Uh, let me just read a couple things. Right here in verse 7. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion In the day of the trial in the wilderness. Now, a lot here is good, don't get, me. I get dizzy. I'm gonna scroll down to verse 11. So I swore in my wrath that they will not shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily what is called today, lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. So, again, the writer of Hebrews, he's talking to the church, he's talking to the Jews here. But he's using the example of the Jews when they harden their heart towards God. They were getting ready to go to the promised land. God gave them instruction in Deuteronomy. He told them there was going to be giants in the land. He told them what the scene would be like. But he told them, go forward. I'm with you. Go forward. But they reasoned in their own reasoning. And they hardened their heart toward what God said. And they didn't go. Now, the, he talks about, and if you read the context of Hebrews 3 and 4, chapter 2, he uses the word sin, the singular form, and I've taught this many times, and the word taught many times that the sin that he's talking about is unbelief in like So he he mentions that here in verse verse twelve. Beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, and departing from the living God. Okay, and it is it is a unbelief, but when you don't believe God you won't obey Him. When you don't obey God, you won't trust what He says. And if you don't trust what He says, you won't obey Him. And anytime we don't obey God, our heart becomes more hearty. And it becomes more insensitive to hear His voice. To a point where we don't hear His voice anymore. I've seen it happen with many people. I've even seen it in seasons of my life where I wasn't listening. God didn't stop talking, but my heart became hardened because I kept resisting and resisting what he wanted me to do. God's a gentleman. He's not going to force it. He's not going to back off in the sense that his words still stand. Uh, he you know, all scripture is powerful for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness, the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. God will reprove, he will correct, he will instruct us. But the more that we disobey God and don't listen to him, the more our heart becomes hardy and selfish, and it, it, it can just be a, it can be a slow fade, it can be a slow heart where our heart becomes And we never get to fulfill our destiny of going into the promised land, of entering into his rest, because we said, I'm going to do it my way. Whatever that may be. And it might not be something of immorality or gossip or something we know is sin, but it's something that God's called us to do. God told them to go into a promised land. There was going to be some battles there. Then we're going to fight some giants. In the natural, they didn't have the appetite for that. (laughs) The, The fruit was great. I mean, it took two men, uh, I forget, had to carry the grapes. The fruit was great. <clears throat> it was everything God said it would be. <clears throat> but it wasn't worth the cost. There's some day that God has, has a destiny for us, for our lives, for our families, for us. But I want Him to be my King and my God and my Lord. I don't want to be insensitive to His voice. I want His name. And when God does it, it's beautiful. When we do it His way, it's beautiful. But when we soften our heart, and when we harden our hearts towards God, it's a slow fade. And, so, and I've seen people just slowly fade away from God. And, uh, 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 a lot of their life is good, but this area here, I want my whole life to be have the fruit of God's holiness and righteousness. And uh, hopefully I'm making sense. But let me just illustrate it in closing. There's two examples that come to mind in Scripture. The first one is, and they're both Old Testament, but the first one is Pharaoh. Now, I know this is he's not a godly king, a godly Pharaoh, but during the Exodus, he hardened his heart when God, Moses, by God's direction, said, let my people go. He hardened his heart to a point where God finally hardened. God hardened his heart because Pharaoh had already chosen he already, he already demanded I'm not going to soften my heart to the point that Pharaoh hardened his heart so much that God used that to it, it, when, when Pharaoh's heart became hardened and he would not listen to God he would not listen to God's degree it came so much that eventually Pharaoh through his hardening of heart, destroyed many ways that nation. It, in, in that moment, it devastated them economically. It devastated them. They, lost, they all lost their firstborn. To a point, it he hardened his heart so much that it led Pharaoh to chase after Israel right into the Red Sea where their whole army, including Pharaoh, died and perished. The hardening of heart Devastating. Obviously, Egypt was still around today, so it didn't destroy in that regard. But in that century, in that era, in that day, it destroyed and devastated. I mean, because you know, they took the spoils of the land. They took they 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 bankrupt the the the, the 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 nation in different things. Let me use another example. In Judges, the book of Judges, we have the story of Samson. Now, Samson, we know the story. He's one of the judges. His strength came from his hair. He had a nice, right bow, and that's all of their teaching. But Delilah, and I mean, the man was strong, but he had he. I think he he wasn't the most brightest man. I mean, this gal, uh, even three or four times, tried to. Uh, what's the word I want to try to seduce him to find out what his strength was so he could go basically and hand him over to the teams she was not a good person to hang around with even you know uh, and to a point where she finally did seduce him he, he did tell her where his strength was his hair that she had his hair shaved and immediately the Philistines captured him when they captured him, his heart became hardened. And there's other things I'm leaving out, just how he, his heart became hardened. But when they captured him, the first thing they did was gouge out his eyes, chain him, up, and like oxen, trod and tread corn. And when we, when we harden, when we without sin to harden our hearts, it blinds us to the voice in the kingdom of God, to the mercy of God, to the grace of God, to the ways of God, to the nature of God. Sin will get more hard in our hearts. Sin will ensnare us and then chain us. So much that we find ourselves just wandering in life and not fulfilling our destiny. And when we don't hear God, and there might not be some great sin of immorality or gossip or something like that but maybe we're just not being sensitive to his voice and we're doing a lot of way but we're just not inviting, we're not spending we're not growing in our relationship with God and letting him be our king and our God and whatnot. I'm not trying to read this on the sour note I'm talking about sin. Sin is powerful, but his grace is more powerful, and his holiness is more powerful. We were talking about uh, with some friends, and they just had dinner, and about the seed and people. Some, some uh, were, some people that we've known who have known the, the truth, have known the way, are not walking with God today. The seed is there; they've heard the gospel, but because it's not being watered, that seed, in a sense, has become dormant and it's become overgrown by weeds and other things. That's what sin will do. But if they just start watering that seed again, they start nurturing that seed again and cultivating that seed again, it will grow. And the, and, and the fruit of God's holiness, the fruit of God's beauty, the beauty of His holiness, will take, overcome any other seed that's already there. There might be some plowing that needs to be done. There might need to be some weeding that needs to be done. But to get it started, they just got to water and get into the Word and get into His presence, be reminded of who they are. And they will have a love of God. Their, their love for people will increase. And their, their entanglement and will, will become lessened. That they, instead of reaping the fruit of the flesh, they will reap the fruit of the Spirit. And instead of their hearts becoming hardened, their hearts will become soft and sensitive to the voice of God to believe in God. And someone who is, knows who they are and the fruit, see the fruit of holiness is what I call maturity. What I call the fruit of, it's growing up. So you show me someone, you see the fruit of holiness and righteousness and the the fruit of the spirit flowing in their life, that's a mature Christian. And we're going to be talking about some things from a totally different angle uh, about spiritual maturity over the next few weeks. But I hope it makes sense. I don't want this to be... I try to to tie this in with grace and performance. And we're not performing to become righteous. Sin is still dangerous. And and it doesn't take away from my nature. It doesn't take away from who we are in Christ. Christ has provided by His blood and His life. But sin... If we sell to the flesh, it's still dangerous. It will still harden our hearts. It still has fruit. But all we, and if we, find our, if we found ourselves there, maybe you're listening or whatever the case may be, get back into His presence. Get back into fellowship with a good church. Get back into fellowship. Get into the Word. Have a relationship with God. Be reminded who you are in Christ. Be reminded that His nature can flow in you to love God, to love one another, to soften your hearts from sin, to set you free from a life of sin, so that you're not sowing to the flesh and reaping corruption, but you're sowing to the Spirit and reaping everlasting life. The change is easy, but there is, in a sense, a labor to get into His rest, to get into His presence. And just like a farmer, the farmer doesn't make the plant grow, well, but he cultivates the soil. He can cultivate the environment for it to grow. Well. God's the God's the ultimate gardener. He's the shepherd and whatnot. But we just need to allow Him to be Lord of our lives. Lord, we worship You this morning. We exalt You this morning. Lord, we want to see the beauty of Your holiness flowing in our lives. We pray that for our kids. We pray that for our families. We pray for that family. And Lord. Let it start here. Let it start with us. Let it grow with us. Let us grow deeper and stronger and be more established. Right? Lord, even some of us who have been, we've been tired. We've been even had times been discouraged. Refresh us. Lord, we just thank you for this new life that we have in you. We thank you for the beauty of your holiness. Lord, because you have done something beautiful in our lives and you will want to do it again and again and continue and becomes fruitful. And it changes our, our society. It changes our nation. It changes those around us. In your name, we give you thanks. We give you glory and honor. Amen amen. amen. Thank you. God bless. Those of you who can come, we'll see you tonight. we will see you next week. All right. God bless you.